until we consult God and his word. And he tells us what is the very best thing for us. So life is made up of choices. We have the freedom to choose. You know, when Adam uh, was placed in the garden, um, God didn't create him to be a robot. He didn't, God gave him uh, one command, one restriction, and that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he didn't make Adam and Eve not do that. He gave them the freedom to choose. He even gave them the freedom to have Satan come and tempt Eve to disobey that command. You see, God wants us to love him and obey him because we want to. Not because we have to. Now we ought to. And that's the best thing to do because he loves us and he always wants what's best for us. But unfortunately, many times we make choices that take us away from God and not toward God. I was thinking the other day, we have a lady in our church, she's a car salesman. I don't know what you think about car salesmen, uh, but she's a salesperson, I guess, being politically correct. And uh, she's doing quite well. Um, Farida is a, uh, a godly lady. She's a real prayer warrior. And uh, she's very honest. And to be a successful car salesman in our society, you can't be very honest. You have to be somewhat deceitful. You have to put pressure on people. You have to be willing to bait and switch. You know what that is? You advertise one thing that you really don't have or you sell, and then when they, you, you get them to come, and then you switch them to something else, or you upgrade them to a, a more expensive vehicle. And she doesn't want to do that. You know, she wants to find out what they want, and she wants to help them get what they want. And within a means that won't overtax them financially. Her supervisor came to her and told her, Verita, you're too nice. She's got a supervisor now that really is seeking to um, persecute her because she wants to go to church on Wednesday night and Sunday. And so if she has uh, a client that uh, comes in on Sunday to buy a car, they take the sale away from her. Or even if she closes the sale and comes in after church, they withhold her commission. And I'm going to tell you, um, Satan can do some pretty ruthless things. But Verita has made some choices that she says, you know, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to trust him for the results. Well, today I want to talk about choices, but I was thinking about Verita, and if you go to buy a car from her, she'll ask you, do you want to test drive it? I don't know how many of you have test driven a car, uh, but uh, probably if you've ever bought a car at a dealership, you, you drove it. Drove it home, drove it around, checked it out. And that helped you make the decision, or listen, the choice 
as to whether you wanted to buy that car. Now, I was thinking as I was developing this message, wouldn't it be great if we could test drive our choices? Huh? You know, we've got a decision to make. We've got two or three things we got. Wouldn't it be great if we could just kind of get in there and test drive it and find out where it leads us to, how bumpy it is along the way, and then we, we could say, you know, I don't like that ride. I don't like the way this smells. <laughs> I don't like the result of this. And we could go back because we were test driving it. You know, we didn't own it. It wasn't ours. We could go back and say, hey, you can take this, this, this choice back. I don't want this choice. Wouldn't it be great if we could test drive our choices? I don't know about you, but boy, I have some choices that I've made in my life in the past that I would like to take back. They're called regrets. You know, the amazing thing is the Word of God allows us to test drive choices. Look with me at, at, at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Actually, let, let me just mention that here it's talking about uh, as Paul is writing a letter here to this Corinthian church, he's referring to them in verses 1 and uh, the beginning of the chapter. He said, I would not that ye should be ignorant, brethren, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about Moses and the children of Israel. He says, now, I don't want you to be ignorant about history, the Jewish history. He says, in verse 6, he says, now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, he's, what he's saying is this. He's saying the things that happened to our forefathers happened to them to be an example to us. It could be a good example of what to do or it could be a bad example of what not to do. You see, we can test drive a choice by looking back at biblical examples and look at how their choices ended up. Amen. Notice verse 11. He says, Now these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for, what's the next two words? Our encouragement, our admonition, our learning. You see? They happened to them as examples for us, but then he recorded them in the scriptures so we could go to them and get encouragement unto the ends of the world are come. He says, I have given you a test drive in the choices that you ought to make. If you'll just study my word, if you'll just learn from the examples that I have recorded in my word, then you can make the right choices. By the way, God gives us everything we need in the word of God to make the right choices. Amen. That's what Peter tells us. Now, let me direct you to a passage of scripture. 
Actually, we were in this passage this morning. So if you were in Sunday school this morning, uh, we're going to continue in 2 Kings chapter 5. So put back there with me uh, in the Old Testament to 2 Kings chapter 5. The first part of the chapter, uh, up through uh, about verse 19, it's dealing with uh, Naaman, and he was the uh, Syrian military leader that got leprosy. Uh, ultimately, he went to um, Israel, and uh, the prophet Elisha uh, sent his servant out to tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and your leprosy will be healed. And we talked this morning about how he complained about that, how he got upset about that, and how he didn't want to do that until one of his servants challenged him. Listen, he didn't ask you to do some big, great thing. He just asked you to do some simple thing. Why don't you just obey him and do it? I mean, what do you got to lose? You've got leprosy. You're going to die. What have you got to lose? So he decided, okay, you're right. But when he went and he did exactly what the prophet had said, God told him to do, amazing thing happened. The leprosy was cleansed. His skin became as that of a little child. And Naaman makes this interesting observation in verse 15. He says, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman understood when he obeyed. We can have an attitude. What, what was it you said? A mood. We can have a mood. We can have a mood, but we can still obey. And after we obey, we can see, we can understand why. We may not have wanted to talk to the man, but because we did it, we know that God wanted us to. Now we understand. He got saved. Or his son did. Amen. See? Praise the Lord. But it wouldn't have happened had not obedience been first. Understanding comes after obedience. Now something interesting happened. The prophet had a servant. The servant had an unusual name. His name was Gehazi. Gehazi was the one, no doubt, that came to the door and told Naaman that he needed to go dip in the Jordan. Gehazi had been with the prophet for some time. He saw the prophet do many miraculous things. He knew uh, that God was on his life working through him, he was as close to a man of God as anyone could be. He saw Naaman cleansed of leprosy. The amazing thing. Naaman brought money and uh, material things with him, and he wanted to give it to the prophet, and the prophet refused. That's where we stopped in Sunday school. The prophet refused payment for any of it. He said, I didn't do anything. God did it. But an interesting thing happened up in verse 20, and this is where I want to pick up. In verse 20, it says, but Gehazi, now who's Gehazi? The prophet. He's the servant of the prophet. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. 
But as the Lord liveth, notice the next two words, I will. Well, that's where we get in trouble, doing our will. I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw uh, him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot and met him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me. What is that? That's not true. It's a lie. My master hath sent me in, saying, Behold, even now there is come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. What is that? A lie. Another lie. Two lies. Verse 23. Now, uh, and Naaman said, Be content. Um, he says, you know, uh, I realize you're trying to be nice or whatever, but uh, I want to give you more than that. I really appreciate what the prophet did for me, and if uh, he wants to give these two guys, uh, you know, a little something to help them on their way, hey, I'm willing to give double that or more. So Naaman said, be content, take two talents. And he urged him and uh, bound two talents of silver and two uh, in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and, bear them, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from his hand, excuse me, from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go and they departed. Now, think about this. Gehazi ran off Elisha didn't know where he was, or supposedly didn't know where he was. He gets this stuff from uh, Naaman, and Naaman, being the kind man that he was, gave him more than he asked for, but he also sent two servants to carry it for him. Now here Gehazi is coming back to the house, and he's got two guys with him. How's he going to explain that? You know, when we tell a lie, we always, have to, we always have to remember what we told last because when we face another situation where we can be exposed, we have to tell another lie. It always covers up another one. So here he is, he's coming back, and, and probably he came to a different portion there because it says he came to the tower. And he quickly got the stuff out of their hands and he laid it inside the door and said, okay, guys, thanks. See you later. In verse 25, and it says, but he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, thy servant went no weather. Now, my wife and I have had seven children. And there have been times where our kids were places they should not have been. And they come in, and Sharon or I have asked them, where you been? And the response is, nowhere. 
Now I ask you, is it possible to be nowhere? <laughs> you have to be somewhere. It is impossible to be nowhere. See how silly the response is there? But the idea is, I have been nowhere that I shouldn't have been. That's what Gehazi is saying to his master, the prophet. What is that? Lie number three. Gehazi now has lied three times. He made a choice three times to not tell the truth. Actually, he made a choice that led to the three lies, and that choice was to covet what Naaman had brought, and he wanted it for himself. Now, notice, he wasn't real stingy and selfish. He just wanted a little bit of it. He didn't want all of it. <clears throat> he ended up with more than he asked for. But when he got it, now he's got to do something about covering it up. Mm -hmm. Life and more. Now, as I got to thinking about um, Gehazi and the choices that he made, I want to talk about the mistakes that led to that, those bad choices. And I want you to think about your life and the choices that you make, because many times we make bad choices similar to Gehazi because we, make some, we have a bad attitude, we have a bad mood, or we have a bad philosophy. Our society is full of it today. The first one up there is <clears throat> he made a mistake in determining God's will. You see, Gehazi felt, <clears throat> he felt that God wants me to be happy. I remember a number of years ago, <clears throat> a pastor friend of mine <clears throat> asked me if I would help counsel a man and a wife that had been attending his church. The man had actually been a pastor of another uh, church in the area. The man was involved in committing adultery with, on his wife, and he would go stay with his girlfriend and, uh, overnight for a night or two, and then he'd come home and stay with his wife. And um, he, uh, she was trying to get him to go to counseling, and, and so he didn't want to go to counseling at the, at the church there, so he was agreeable to go to someone that didn't know him. So they came, and, and uh, I sat down with them. This is a man that would preach the Word of God, and now he's involved in adultery on a regular basis. Not just one time, but week after week after week. You say, you can't understand that. Well, I'm going to tell you, the devil can feed you a lie that will convince you uh, that this is okay. And he responded to me. Listen to this. He responded to me, when I asked him about uh, the adultery that he was committing, he said, I just don't believe God wants me to be unhappy. Have you ever thought that? You know, that kind of thinking will lead you to a choice that one day you will regret. God's primary purpose is not happiness in our life. Listen to this. He wants us to be holy. Amen. Now, if we're holy, it will lead to happiness, but happiness doesn't necessarily lead to holiness. 
Now, I didn't finish uh, reading uh, the account there. Let me go back and see what happened here. In verse 26, and, and he said to him, he says, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? That's what the prophet is saying to Gehazi. He said, Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olives and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? You see, God revealed to the prophet everything that Gehazi had done. It was almost like there was a security camera following him out there. And this was long before security cameras. You know, it's hard to deny when God's watching you. You might hide it from your parents. You might hide it from your family. You might hide it from your spouse. But you cannot hide it from God. And he told Israel, be sure your sin will find you out. Now listen, listen real close. Some of you have got some choices you've got to make this week. It's a little warm in here today. The devil's saying, why don't you just take a little nap while that dusty old preacher up there is preaching. But I'm telling you some things right now. If you'll listen to me, it'll keep you from destroying your life this week with a choice that you'll regret later. Amen. Work at staying awake. Satan wants you to put it, go to sleep. I know it's been hard on Some of you have been up all night, maybe working all night. I appreciate you being here, but work at listening because you've got choices that you need to make. And if you have the attitude that God wants you to be happy and you make your choices based on that, you're going to end up regretting that choice. Notice in verse 37 or 27 what happened. The prophet said to Naaman, he says, The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Do you know what happened? This servant saw a leper come to the house. He told the leper what to do to be healed. And then he got into this whole thing of trying to take something from that man that he should not have taken. And as a result, he ended up, the servant ended up with that man's leprosy. That's tragic. Not only did, did Gehazi end up with a leprosy, but it says that his, the generations after him did as well. You know, our sin affects our family. That pastor's sin that came, uh, that, that came to me for counseling, it affected not only his marriage, but it affected his children. It affected the church that he pastored. He wasn't pastoring it then but the people that he had taught the Word of God. It taught them that, hey, listen, what he taught us for those years isn't true because he doesn't live it in his own life. Mm -hmm. There are people watching us every day. Mm -hmm. They watch the choices we make. They know whether you go to church or not. Your neighbors, did you know that? They see you go to church. You may never tell them uh, that you're going to church, but they see you going They know you're going to church. 
and they know when you miss going to church. When God, uh, when, when people see us, we ought to be pointing them to God. The second thing that I noticed here, second mistake that Gehazi made, he made a, a, a mistake in determining God's will. He thought God wanted him to be happy. But he also thought things would make him happy. We've got to watch out for this things idea. Things will not make us happy because after the newness wears out, we've got to have the next new thing. You don't believe that? Go look in your garage or in your attic or basement. There's a lot of things there that at one time you felt, I just have to have this to make me happy. And they've been sitting there collecting dust. Am I right? On me? Anybody listen to me? Uh, hey, all, we're all in that same boat, right? We made choices based on things because we thought things would make us happy. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content with such things as you have. We talked about that this weekend. Being content with what God has given us. You know, con the lack of contentment gets us into trouble many times. Really bad. And we'll make choices to get something to make us happy. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So you see, satisfaction doesn't come from the possession of things. That's why a lot of um, wealthy people are miserable. They've got all the things that money could buy. Solomon is a good example of that. He had all the money, all the power, all the influence. He had all the pleasure, all the um, immorality that anyone could ever have all the possessions that anyone could ever want. And he wrote a book. And in that book, he said, after trying all those things, he said, all is vanity. Vanity. You see, the things that we think make us happy aren't really the things that make us happy because satisfaction comes from within, not from without. I made another mistake that a lot of Christians make today, and that is he made a mistake about truthfulness. Oh, it's only a, a little lie. In fact, it's a little fib. It's not even a lie. See, we change the terms so it doesn't sound so bad. When it comes to the the, uh, the Christian, the child of God, uh, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not bear false witness, that thou shalt not lie. I mean, that's one of the basic. He told at least three lies. I've already pointed those out to you. 
You know, there's a saying that I've heard many times that honesty is the best policy. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. For the Christian, honesty is the only policy, not just the best. And the amazing thing is, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said last. Mm-hmm. You just keep telling the truth. And you'll never get trapped. And that's the problem with lying. You always have to remember what you said last. The tragic thing is, <clears throat> he, had, he made the mistake uh, of results. Gehazi wanted happiness. But what did he get? There's where the regret comes in. That's why we want to. But you see, he didn't set out to get leprosy. He set out to just get a little bit of pleasure, just to get a a new outfit to wear, just to have a little extra money. But what did he get? Leprosy. You see, that's the way our choices lead us sometimes if we don't follow God's Word. Now, real quickly, there's some foundational principles that will help us make choices that will bring God's blessing on our lives and on our family. And these are four principles real quickly. I'm just going to read them for you. You can write this down. If you've got a cell phone, the people in our church, they take pictures. They'll take a picture of that slide. But this is the most important slide. And I want you to just think about this. I I know your preachers preached on these things. I know you've heard these things hundreds of times probably. But we really can't be reminded enough of these foundational principles that will help us make choices that glorify God, but also choices that that will lead us to blessing and happiness. We need to know and obey the Word of God. We've talked about that. Not not just know it, we need to obey it. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. We need to put God first in everything, Matthew 6, 33. It's amazing how these principles, if every choice you make, just go down through these principles in your mind, your choice will be almost always made for you because usually there's a choice that doesn't put God first. If it's a choice as to whether accept a job or not and they require you to work every Wednesday night and every Sunday, I don't know about you, but this sheet, this uh, uh, slide up here tells me what my decision ought to be. I ought to put God first. If I take a job that's going to take me away from God, that's not a job that I need. You say, well, i got to feed my family. i got to pay the bills. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I'll take care of your needs. Are you going to believe him? Or is that just a pious saying that you say? All right, make the choice the way you want it and see where that takes you. Then when you get leprosy, and that's an exaggeration. But when it takes you to a place that you don't want to be, then you're going to have to back all the way up and make a choice again. Are you following me here? Foundational principle <clears throat> number three, do all to the glory of God. 
don't ever violate that. That will keep you right in the center of God's will. Finally, make sure you have God and people in their right uh, position in your relationship with them. Make sure you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But you also need to love others. Relationships need to be right. Foundational principles that will help us make the choices of life that will lead us to happiness, to peace, and to joy. Now, I don't know. I, you know, I'm visiting here today. This is the first time I've been to Minster. I, I don't know you. Some of you I've met a couple days ago. But I don't know your spiritual um, life. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? The most important choice, the most by far, there's none uh, that comes before this one, the most important choice in all of our lives is the choice as to whether we're going to receive Christ as Savior. And if you're here today and you've never done that, you're not sure heaven is your home, you can do it before you leave. Christian, I think the most important choice for the Christian lies in these principles. Putting God first and making sure everything you do is to the glory of God. How are you doing? How do you make choices that will bring you blessing not only to you, but to you and your family? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray that you would bless.